dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined in the studio by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. It's kind of nice to be in one location for a heartbeat, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. I tell you what, folks, February is just a mess of travel for conventions and meetings and all, but you know what? Uh, NCBA was a pretty interesting show this year, and I wouldn't trade the travel that we do for anything. You wouldn't? (laughs) Well, maybe like an extra hour of sleep, maybe. (laughs) I'm sure my mother would. (laughs) (laughs) Your mom gets the award for child care duties this this whole month. Bless her heart. Um, Tell her thank you on behalf of all of us, I tell you what. Um, yeah, NCBA was a really, really great show. You got to see a lot more of it than I did. I was on the trade show floor the whole time. So, um, anything pop out to you? I attended the Cattlemen's College that was ahead of the NCBA convention meeting stuff. And they had a lot of great speakers, a lot of learning going on. And there were some interesting topics that hopefully I'll get to write about (laughs) when I have time. (laughs) Yeah, on top of all of this, uh, we've got some absences here in the office, and so Kayleen is doing double duty as a page designer and, and pulling down more markets than she usually does and all sorts of fun stuff. So we are a small operation here, folks, and everybody pitches in. I barely had time between NCBA to do laundry, and then I had to get back on a flight to Las Vegas to meet our team and head out to St. George, Utah for our first Alfalfa U of the series this year. Uh, we had a really great ca- crowd that showed up, Kayleen. Um, I think we had 90 people uh, registered, about 80 showed. Uh, and that, honestly, that was a really good crowd for us because we were kind of up against the World Ag Expo and the, you know all that fun stuff. But I tell you what, the folks that were there had really good uh, feedback for our speakers, and I am excited. Remember, guys, we're coming to Gary, Nebraska on the 18th of February and then back in Dodge City February 20th. And you can register still at alfalfau.com. It's still free. So, uh, yeah, it's all sorts of fun. (laughs) Did you have any dairymen at that meeting? You know, we did. um, Yeah, we had a lot of dairymen at that, uh, a few dairymen at that meeting. Honestly, though, um, the the highlight of the whole trip for me was Las Vegas. (laughs) Yeah, you fly into Vegas and you fly out of Vegas because of the cheap flights. It's only an hour to St. George. And so um, on our way back, we decided, you know, since we had the rental car, let's go see the Boneyard Neon Museum. And uh, that was really great because we got there just at dusk. And instead of spending an extra, you know, 10 bucks or so to, you know, get the the special light show, you just pay general admission and you have a whole hour. So you see the light show anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That was really cool. I think I caught an alien spaceship on camera. If I'm lying, I'm dying, Kayleen. There was no way there was ever going to be a reflection on the <laughs> on my cell phone. And in the sky, there is a triangle of lights. I'm serious. I saw your picture. So I don't uh, believe that it's an alien, but... I think it's an alien. Because <laughs> Whatever. Because the, the pictures before it and the pictures after it, that's not there. I will... Yeah. I can... I, I will post those to our HPJ talk page and you all decide if I caught an alien or if I'm just blowing smoke. <laughs> But yeah, we also went up to the top of the Eiffel Tower at the Paris Casino because, you know, that sounded like a good idea until I got up there and remembered, I don't like heights, Kayleen. (laughs) You couldn't just suck it up for 10 minutes? (laughs) I did. I sucked it up for actually about 20 minutes because we wanted to watch the Bellagio um, 
the fountain show, which is right below the Eiffel Tower. And so you can watch it from a different angle and it's beautiful and it's gorgeous, except it's terrifying. It's absolutely <laughs> petrifying for somebody that... Obviously, it wasn't petrifying if you were up there for that long. You know what? I clung to the railing like it was a lifeline. Like I was that kid at the at the uh, skating rink who's, you know, wobbling around on skates. So, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was going to be enclosed in glass. I don't know why I didn't realize that they were going to have it open to the air and nothing but, you know, a couple of pieces of rebar in your way. So, yeah. <laughs> I made it. I also lost $40 at the blackjack or at the roulette table. So that that's what happens when I, when I try to bet I'm, I'm what they call a cooler. I'm horribly unlucky. You stand me next to a slot machine and it automatically goes dead. <laughs> the minute our um, colleague went to the slot machines without me, she won money. Like of course she money. did. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, yeah. But yeah, speaking of dairymen, um, yeah, let's talk about Hollywood and dairy cattle for a second. Uh, so on stage Sunday, while he accepted his Oscar, Hollywood weirdo, and I'm going to say he's a Hollywood weirdo. Definitely a weirdo. Joaquin Phoenix made a dig at America's dairy farmers, and um, normally I would say live and let live. And, you know, who's going to pay attention to a Hollywood weirdo anyway? Um, Everybody does, though. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm tired of people who don't have skin in the game or even an inkling of how to struggle to put food on the table, telling other folks that they should be ashamed for putting food, any food, on theirs. You know, look, Joaquin, you don't want to drink dairy. That's fine. That's your choice. Plenty of options out there. You There's plenty of it. nut milk out there for you. It is not nut milk. It's nut juice. <laughs> nut juice. <laughs> and I don't care if y'all giggle at that one. It's nut juice. Um, you know, that's fine. That's your choice. There's plenty of options, but shaming people or scaring people into avoiding dairy because you think cattle have more rights than people, you know, to heck with you. I agree. I'm, I'm just, yeah. And, and, uh, next week we're actually going to have dairy Carrie herself, Carrie, uh, mess. She's going to come onto our podcast and talk about Hollywood and farming you might know and recognize Dairy Carey's name because she wrote a viral blog post, uh, a letter to Joaquin that's been getting a lot of buzz around here. Kayleen, you saw it. You read it. Yeah, I shared it. Um, and I was rather disturbed about his thoughts on speciesism. I've never heard that term before. But it's the latest thing in the animal rights world. Yes. Uh, putting animals on the same level as humans and fighting for their rights that's above people that actually have have a, a, a leg to start, you know, have problems with their rights being infringed. LGBTQ, uh, indigenous peoples, uh, females. There's, there's so many people of color. There are so many people out there that have actual valid reasons why they fight for their rights. And then to come along and say, livestock and, and, and animals have the exact same rights as people that I, no, <laughs> we take care of livestock. We take care of our animals because it's the right thing to do, but they are not, they're not the same. It's not the same. No children, you know, putting cattle on the same pedestal as children. That's wrong. We actually, we have actual problems out there and creating kerfuffle and, and a hubbub because you are listening to your handlers who are so out of touch. And the sheer fact that he says that we're out of touch with nature. Dude, you spent <laughs> the better part of the 2000s out of touch with reality. <laughs> who's, um, who's more out in nature? Farmers and ranchers or Hollywood stars? Your little slice of heaven in Hollywood, your little plot of your home does not count as nature. The park in Hollywood does not count as nature. You know, I understand how we can go off the deep end a little bit as a block of people in agriculture and just write them all off. But you know, there are good people in Hollywood too. Uh, Chris Pratt, is notorious on Instagram for sharing photos of his farm and for sharing um, how he's teaching his son to say the Pledge of Allegiance mm -hmm. and how he's actually trying to, to instill values in his children and in his family about 
respecting nature, um, respecting livestock and, and that sort of thing. There's, there's plenty of people out there too that are, for lack of a better term, they're doing it the right way. Yeah. Now, if you have a problem with using livestock or using animals and you don't want to have dominion over them, you think it's, it's wrong to drink their milk or eat their flesh or wear their fur or, and, and skins, that's fine. You know what? You do you. That's fine. But don't tell people that are barely scraping by that the milk that they serve is somehow tainted or evil or not good for the environment, that they're doing harm to their children by serving them milk. Don't do that. Yeah. There are people that are scraping by and a $3 gallon of milk has more nutrition, more packs more of a nutritional punch for, you know, the pennies on the gallon, really. Yes. Than anything else that they can buy. You're going to ask, you're going to shame them into spending $6 for a half carton of almond milk over a $3 gallon of, of dairy. You're going to tell people that dairy's evil in the face of massive amounts of dairies going under and dairy farmers taking their own lives. That's, that's wrong. And you know what? It's rare that I say this, but to heck with you, Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix, and I will never be watching another one of your movies. And if you all have a thought or a comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on. Come on and bring, bring it on. <laughs> Drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know. Or call us at the office, preferably call Jenny at the office, <laughs> 1-800-452-7171. Hey, and uh, do us a favor, head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Leave us a review. Maybe if you don't like this, then don't leave us a review. Man, <laughs> you do you, boo. You do you. So, hey, on this week's episode, we're going to bring you a lot of interviews that we gathered from NCBA's CattleCon 20, and Kayleen will have the markets, and... Look, it takes a lot of folks to feed, clothe, and fuel not only America, not only their own families, not only their neighbors, but the world. And that's a job that they don't give shiny trophies for, but they darn well should. So we just want to say thanks for riding with us here on HPJ Talk. at the 2020 National Cattlemen's Beef Association meeting and trade show February 4th through 7th in San Antonio. And we'll have the voices from NCBA in this and future episodes. So enjoy these interviews that we gathered. Well, hello, everybody. It's Jenny and Kayleen again, and we are back at the National Cattlemen's Beef uh, CattleCon 2020. And today we have a really fun um, highlight. There's a new documentary that is highlighting a ranch's commitment to cattle health. And the folks at Berenger Ingelheim have um, really put their, their uh, efforts behind this. And today we have uh, Scott King with BI, and we have Will Johnson, who is a member of the family that was featured in this documentary. Let's start with you, um, Dr. King. Why, why put the, the effort into a documentary? I mean, BI has so many other things in the fire. Why was it important to have this idea and to flesh it out into a documentary format? Uh, well, thanks, Jenny. The, um, the documentary is, um, we like to call it Cattle First, the movie. And the Cattle First concept uh, we launched three years ago. Um, and the Cattle First is built on several pillars, um, you know, things like uh, prevention works and keeping calves healthy, judicious use of antibiotics. Those are all pillars that we talk about within Beringer Ingelheim. And that was really the genesis of Cattle First. And so the first year, we really just wanted to get the concept out there. And the concept uh, really is that if you will put the health and well-being of the animal above everything else, including the bottom line, things tend to take care of themselves. And so we got the concept out there the first year. The second year, we kind of turned introspectively and and we talked about what cattle first means to Beringer Ingelheim. And we interviewed our veterinarians and asked them what it meant to them and, and uh, produced a, a video from that. And, and that was a great story too. And then um, for the third year, um, we came up with the concept that we should do a documentary. We really wanted 
to um, highlight the commitment that our producers have to animal health and well-being. And that's how we met the Johnson family. And when we met them, we knew right away that they embodied the spirit of Cattle First. They're raising the sixth generation of their family on the ranch. They're committed to caring for the land, and they're passionate about animal health and well-being. And we have Will Johnson. He's part of the family that's in the documentary. Uh, Will, can you tell us how your family got involved and why it's important to tell your story? Well, thank you. And, yeah, I just want to thank uh, Boringo Ingelheim for, you know, broadcasting this message because, you know, I think in this day and age, uh, you know, the ag industry and ranchers and producers are kind of, you know, misrepresented in popular culture and, and the mainstream. And, you know, I think this uh, motto of cattle first, uh, as effective as it is and as great of a campaign uh, phrase that it is, it is really representative of the industry. I mean, as we're the fifth generation raising the sixth generations, you, you kind of reflect on what has allowed you to sustain for 110 years. And I and I think it's uh, taken for granted within our industry that we do put cattle first. And to see it just so concisely and powerfully put together in, in that slogan, you know, it really resonated with our family because, you know, we feel very blessed to be doing our occupation on the same land, the same manner for the last 110 years. And how did we end up there? I mean, I think it ultimately comes back to putting the cattle first. And, uh, and I don't think that's unique to the Flying Diamond Ranch or to our family. I think, it, you know, that is representative of the ag uh, community and it, it's nice for uh, you know an industry partner like Boring or Ingelheim to you know showcase that and, and get that message out to the greater population because you know I, th I think we as producers are proud of how we're raising cattle proud of what we're doing for our animals for our land for our nation you know and yeah it all starts with the health and the well-being of your animal and uh, you know it is something that we just assume people, the greater public, uh, recognizes about producers. But I, I think, it, obviously, it's needed to be broadcast and, and shown a light on. And, uh, you know, hopefully that's what's going to be accomplished through this documentary and uh, other things that Bo Ringo is doing. Okay, so having camera crews out with the family while you're doing things... I mean, making movies is not for, for sissies. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not for people that are, are shy, or, or, and maybe that's the, the wrong phrase, but that's something my dad would say. Um, this is hard work, and there's a lot of, of pieces that go into it. Um, when you were talking amongst the family, hey, guys, there's going to be a camera crew that's following us. Um, what, were, what were those conversations like? And ultimately, what made the decision for you to go ahead? Yeah, no, it, I mean, a testament to the product that Boehringer puts out. I mean, it was a, a crew. It was an RV, and there was five, you know, filmers and five, you know, a couple directors, and it was a crew. And, yeah, you know, they caught some of our big work days. And as somebody, my brothers and I and my father who puts on, and my mom who puts on these work days, they're always stressful without an audience. And then you get <laughs> kind of get uh, the... The city crew from Minneapolis and and all this and they, so it was a little uh, you know we had to understand what we were getting into but again back to our industry we're all very passionate about our industry a few of us who grew up on our ranch we've been in the small town of Kit Carson like I say we all went to that high school for five generations and uh, we married some city spouses and you know we've really been exposed that our message our industry message is being told by people that have no idea what's going on and. So was it a little inconvenience? I hate to use that word, but say it was. But, I mean, the message is very important. Like, we need, as an industry, to get our message out that not only are we not ashamed of how we do things on, on our ranches, but we're proud of it and we welcome and want people to see, the, the society to see how things are doing. So when viewed in that context, any hindrance, any extra work it created for us on these work days were we appreciated doing because it's so important to get what Bo Ringo Ingelheim is promoting and, and what the industry needs to showcase uh, put forward to the public. So now we have our debut here uh, in like 15 minutes, I think. Uh, where can folks see this um, from home? Where can they look for it online? 
Well, starting tomorrow, they can go to cattlefirstmovie.com and uh, they can view the entire 40-minute documentary there. All righty. Well, hey, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on HPJ Talk. Um, From uh, NCBA, uh, CattleCon 20, this is Jenny Latsky. And Kaylane Scott. We'll see you on the trail. This is Kaylane Scott here with uh, Chuck Coffey. He's the outgoing chairman of the Beef Board. Is that is that correct? Yes, outgoing chairman of the Cattlemen's Beef Board. Chuck, tell us a little bit about what you think you have accomplished this year and what are your hopes for the, the next chairman? A lot of what we've done this year has been organizational and in-house. We've kind of uh, restructured the staff and some of the things that we do there. We've hired a new CEO mm-hmm. and a new CFO and uh, a couple of new staff members. And, and we have a very small staff, but they're very efficient in what they do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we've, we've got the train on the tracks at this point in time, and everything's running very smoothly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's not a lot I've accomplished myself because we're a 100-member board, and, and these people are all volunteers. Most of them are much smarter than I am. Mm-hmm. So I don't see my job as chairman is to tell them what to do. Yeah. Rather, it's, it's to help them get to where they want to go and try to make it as easy as, for them as possible. And as easy as it is to direct 100, 100 volunteers. <laughs> it's kind of like the Super Bowl commercial where you saw saw the Cowboys trying to herd cats. But, yeah. no, they're, they're a little more responsible. Than I would imagine so. Um, now, you're a, a rancher yourself, and all we've heard lots and lots about sustainability this week. What's your thoughts on sustainability? My thoughts on sustainability go beyond what the public's definition is, obviously. I, I, I turn first to my family. My wife and I are both fifth-generation ranchers. Uh, my children are the sixth, and I've got a grandson here at this convention who will hopefully be the seventh or be interested in it. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, that's part of taking care of the land and, 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 and perpetuating it into the future and managing it to the good of both, both the public and, and for us as a source of income. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I think of sustainability, I think about the three legs on the stool, obviously, e- ecologic, economic, and social. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, we work hard to take care of the land. And, and my goal with the land is to leave it better than when I found it. And I see cattle as, as part of the natural, uh, a natural, not an input, but part of the environment mm-hmm. in, in managing grasslands, especially in the West. Yeah. Because without cattle, we tend to, the land grows up in trees and it becomes forested and it's not the carbon sink that it should be. Some other things that that you hear people talk about with sustainability is, is, uh, you know, the effects that cattle have on the environment and so forth. But, you know, we've had grazing herbivores much more populated in the past than we do today. So I don't blame ruminants for belching into the atmosphere and causing global warming. You know, if I were going to look somewhere, I would I would look at, at myself personally for driving a big SUV down the highway, mm-hmm. and I'm the only person in it. I mean, come on, let's get real and be rational with yeah. things. But, but you know, we've become so efficient in our business, uh, in the beef business. Today, we're looking at 2020. Compare that back to, you know, let's compare that to the 80s or early 90s when we had 40 million head of cows. Today, we're only, we've only got 31, 32 million head. We've got a third less cows today yeah. than we did back in the 80s. However, we're producing record amounts of beef. We've got more beef on the market today than we did back in the 80s with 40 million cows, yeah. and we're doing that with 30. And so, to me, that's pretty impressive. That's, that's sustainability. That's efficiency. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, my husband and I have a small cow-calf herd, and every dollar counts in our in our operation as far as the checkoff collecting those dollars why is it important to farmers and ranchers to have that money collected and go to the the beef board and the checkoff and all the research that gets done i i know exactly what you're saying uh or what what you're asking uh there was a there was a time that uh I guess I would have been of the opinion, I just want to stay on my ranch. I want to feed my cows. Mm-hmm. I want to take care of my family. Leave me alone. <laughs> but that doesn't work anymore yeah. because we're in a global, global environment. And people want to know where their food's coming from. Mm-hmm. And they want to know it's handled safely. And they want to know the, the inputs that we use to, to increase the efficiencies of raising beef. And, and, and so it's extremely important to me 
that that we get out of the box and get off our ranches mm -hmm. and talk to people. You know, be transparent. Bring groups to come in and tour your ranches and so forth so they can understand sustainability from our side and we can understand what they're asking for. You know, we've got to come together to make the whole system of food production in the U.S. sustainable in, in a way that we're not fighting one another. Yeah, I agree with you. Is there anything else you you want to add? Well, you mentioned that about the, the checkoff dollar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would definitely add that, you know, uh, uh, in the past five years, our return on investment every, every year, by law, according to the act and order of the checkoff, we have to do a return on investment study mm -hmm. and get that approved by USDA. And over the course of the last five years, our return on investment has been $11.91 per dollar invested by the Cattlemen's Beef Board. Mm -hmm. And we feel that's a pretty good investment. And in, in fact, it's nearly twice that of the next closest commodity group. Yeah. And, and so we think we kind of set the bar there in, in, in returning $11.91. And, um, you know, I would encourage people to get out and learn about the checkoff mm -hmm. and, and not look at it that it's just naturally assume it's a tax or it's something they're taking away from my operation because we've got to promote our product mm -hmm. in today's environment. You see the commercials yeah. and you know what's on TV. If we're not out there promoting it, nobody's going to do it for us. Exactly. Even though I think we've got the, the safest, most nutritious, most preferred protein in the mm -hmm. world, we've still got to talk about it and, and tell people about the health benefits of beef and, and why, why it is a good choice for our table. Definitely. I, I agree with you there, Chuck. Well, thanks for talking with me today. I appreciate you taking time to speak with me. Well, I thank you, and uh, let's get the word out about beef. Will do. This is Kaylane Scott with the High Plains Journal. I'm here with Greg Haynes, the CEO of the Cattlemen's Beef Board. How are you doing today, Greg? Are you busy? I'm doing good. Yep, it's been busy. How about with you, Kayleen? Same. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, let's get started. Tell me a little bit about how you your journey came to the Cattlemen's Beef Board and how you got your current position. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've been in my current role now here for just seven months. I uh, started here last June. Uh, before that, I was working with the U.S. Meat Export Federation, so I've been with them for over 18 years. Uh, part of that time in Denver originally, and then I had been in Japan and lived over there, mm -hmm. total of about 10 years then, but uh, almost four and a half of those years was, was the director in the MEF office there in Tokyo, and then back to uh, the Denver headquarters again for the last 10 years, mm -hmm. uh, where I was working on the uh, international marketing programs that we work on there. And so there, um, I think, you know, being a contractor mm -hmm. to the checkoff at that point, MEF is a contractor. So that was very helpful because that really helped me to understand, you know, what you can and can't do with the checkoff. Um, you know, what kind of just the little details about what you need to put on or how you attribute the checkoff and all these different things. So that background and then also working through the whole funding process of the checkoff for many years mm -hmm. has, I think, given me the ability to kind of hit the ground running, knowing those processes already. And this was a new position they had created, right? The CEO, had they had a CEO before? Uh -huh. Yeah, they did have the CEO at Cattlemen's Beef Board mm -hmm. before. So um, you have a, they had a changeover in staff then, and so I uh, was able to, to get that position then last summer. Okay. Mm -hmm. You've only been there about seven months, and you said you hit the ground running. What are some of the things you've worked on in, in your time at CBB? I think one of the things that I've noticed most is, you know, just, I think, kind of the misperceptions or misinformation that's out there about the checkoff. And, you know, we look at it, and I think most people have kind of grown up and they know the checkoff is out there, mm -hmm. but it's been out there you know, for over 30 years. So the, the producers that put that in place and went through all those efforts have kind of moved along or moved up. And so you've got a whole generation now that it's been there, but they don't necessarily know all the details. And to me, I think that's the biggest challenge because now you do have detractors who are kind of putting out false information or misinformation mm -hmm. uh, that is raising doubts in the minds of, of producers about really what the checkoff is doing for them. So one of my top priorities, I think, is that we need to kind of set the record straight. Mm -hmm. I mean, the producers are investing in this program. It's producer-driven. Uh, it's supporting the producers. You know, our goal is to build demand for beef. Mm -hmm. And we're not doing anything else. We're not lobbying or doing any of those right. things. You know, checkoff dollars can't do that. So 
making sure that the producers understand like why the checkoff's there, how, you know, what it can do, what it can't do, who makes all those funding decisions and things like mm -hmm. that is something we need to get out there again. Yeah, I agree. Uh, going forward, what are some of the things that you want to accomplish or that you think need to be done with the checkoff? And I think here, I mean, as far as what we're doing, I mean, I, and I kind of tie back to that last topic. You mm -hmm. know, I call it kind of our back to basics. So I think we need to be much more aggressive and proactive in getting this information out and kind of dispelling these myths. Then obviously, you know, with all of our contractors, we need to be doing whatever we can to dispel the myths, I think, also with the consumers, you know, the end users out there. Uh, we hear so much about how beef is, you know, causing all the global warming or, you know, is bad for the environment. And really, we have a great story to tell. And so we just need to make sure that we're getting that story out there. And so I think this is a priority for us and all the contractors. And sometimes that's a challenge too, because with the producers, the producers obviously know that, you know, we, we know we've got a great story. So a lot of the, the mediums as far as advertising or how we reach out to the consumers don't necessarily hit the producers because we don't want to be using money to preach to the choir. Yeah. And so that's kind of a challenge too, because then I think the producers don't see that. And then they're asking again, what's happening with the checkout? I don't see the ads on TV or I don't see this anymore. So there's a, a little bit of a disconnect or a concern that they may have that this isn't happening. So I think we need to do a better job on that as well as making sure that the, the producers are hearing the stories and seeing what's happening with the checkout. So we're trying to update our website, you know, beefboard.org. Uh, with more information. We've also put out some new uh, mediums. We've got a, a printed uh, newsletter basically called The Drive that comes out quarterly. And that has information about what's happening, who the contractors are, how the decisions are made, all this different information. There's a email version of that that mm -hmm. comes out every month as well. So we're hoping more producers can get these and see that as well. So if I can put a plug in, I'd say, please go to drivingdemandforbeef.org and uh, sign up for the drive because I think it's important that the producer sees, sees this and the information that's in there is all you know uniquely created for this. You won't find that really anywhere else. Okay. Well, thanks for the plug on where to go for more information. Um, what's your favorite thing about cattle corn so far? Uh, I think it's just you know bringing in so many producers from all over the country. I think that you know the checkoff, um, hopefully is a tool that helps bring producers together. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have the same objectives, the same goals. You know, we're trying to, to, you know, build demand for our product. We want to get the best prices we can. I know there's a lot of factors that influence mm -hmm. the market, but I think this is one that, that positively helps us uh, to be able to promote that and compete with the other proteins that are out there. So I think that's very important. And so just having the, the conference here and having all the producers together and the ability to talk and, mm -hmm and see that, yes, from East Coast to West Coast, we really have the same goals and we're trying for the same things and helps kind of build that unity. Well, that sounds really good. Well, thanks for talking with me, Greg. It was nice to meet you and have a good rest of the week. Yeah, no, great. Appreciate it. Nice to meet you and hope your week goes uh, well as well. Yeah. <laughs> this is Kaylene Scott. I'm here with Jared Brackett. He is the vice chairman for the Cattlemen's Beef Board, and he's going to go onto the board as president soon when when do you vote so technically unless my writing campaign to find somebody to replace <laughs> me doesn't work i'll go in his chair tomorrow so um pretty much immediately, immediately. yes <laughs> all right jared tell me a little bit about your journey uh being on the board and what it means to you so the journey started five some years ago when i got nominated to serve on the cattlemen's beef board by the producers of idaho mm -hmm. and then usda said yeah well it'll work and away we went, right? And um, went to my orientation and decided, hey, this is something that's important to me. I want to continue to get involved. And so started out on operating committee, executive committee, and then decided, you know, I, I want to do this, so let's do leadership. So ran for secretary treasurer, went through that interview process, um, was chosen, and then last year served as chair, and then, of course, this coming year I'll serve as chairman. So... It's a really fast process. You've only got six years to do it. And so it's kind of like a whirlwind a little bit. Yeah. But um, because it's such a fast process, it kind of lets you sprint. Because mm -hmm. if it was a longer process, you might be more inclined to stroll along <laughs> a little bit and 
Take it's probably time. a good thing we sprint, right? Because we're in and we're done. It, yeah. It's good. Tell me a little bit about what the Cattlemen's Beef Board and what it does for the producers and the beef industry in itself. And why, that, why is that so important? So the Cattlemen's Beef Board collects or gets admitted when any producer sells a beef animal, a dollar's collected. Um, that's the checkoff. We get 50 cents of that here at the Cattlemen's Beef Board. Um, that money goes, is collected, and then um, our operating committee actually is the, the body that decides how that money's spent. Mm-hmm. At these conventions, um, our committees meet with contractors who are putting mm-hmm. forward authorization requests, and we've told them where we want to focus and what things we're focusing on, and whether it's BQA or traceability issues or export issues or maybe nutrition and health or consumer mm-hmm. trust. These are things we're focusing on, and so then... That money is, all those authorization requests are put together, and then in September we've got an operating committee meeting, and that's where we decide where we're going to spend the money. Mm-hmm. You know, this last operating committee meeting we had in September spent around $40 million. We had to cut almost $10 million worth of contracts to make that work. Wow. It's a pretty painful process because <laughs> they're such good contracts, yeah. right? And But our contractors are really good, and we've got a number of them, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's National Cattlemen's Beef Association or U.S. Cattlemen's or... NAMI or U.S. Meat Export Federation, MICA, Farm Bureau. I'm, I'm going to leave somebody out here. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. I apologize. But it's important those contractors do good work for us. But we've got a pretty good track record of returning good value. And this last year, we had our return on investment study that came out and said we were a little over $11.90 for every that. dollar. Yeah. That's pretty impressive when it you is. consider. I mean, it, our value is diminishing every year because our dollar shrinks, right? Mm-hmm. You can't buy when this was passed in the eighties, that was a dollar is a lot more than it is now. Right. <laughs> yes, so to is. get $11, that's pretty good. Yeah. So, but it's also important for us to realize that and recognize that we're working on behalf of our producers. Mm-hmm. And, but I also want our producers to know that they're in charge of this ship. You know, they're the ones that nominate us to serve on these committees mm-hmm. and do these things. And we want to know what they think. And so that's why we're trying to do this, maybe reconnect a little bit and that's where the drive comes mm-hmm. in it's a producer communication and if they're curious about it then go to drivingdemandforbeef.com and sign up for it mm-hmm. and they'll get a monthly email that'll come out and a newsletter that'll explain a little more what we're doing mm-hmm. but the other thing that it'll do if they sign up for it they go to the website they can have my information personally if they want to call me they want to email me mm-hmm. they got a question or comment i welcome them i like that stuff i want to know what we're how yeah. they think we're doing our doors open we're not we're here to help them. Mm-hmm. You talked a little bit about the drive and the other things that are reaching out to the producers. Tell me a little bit about what some of the contractors you mentioned earlier, what are they doing for the beef board that's new and and you, something you guys want to talk about? So we've got all sorts of stuff we're doing with our, our contractors are doing for us, mm-hmm. whether they're doing um, influencer events, you know, where they're, like the Northeast Beef Initiative, where there's a huge population of people, but not a lot of producers, we're able to take money from other parts of the country and put them up there and, and get them in front of massive population centers and explain to people that beef is good, nutritious, and healthy, and part of your life. It's mm-hmm. good for your lifestyle. We've got producers, consumers that are doing events like um, NCBA had a really good deal on uh, Master Chef, I mm-hmm. think is what it was where they, they, beef was the showcase of that event. And it's pretty impressive to watch them cook all that stuff mm-hmm. on there. And we know these things as producers, but our yeah. consumers don't sometimes, right? Yes. And so we're working on other things like beef quality assurance to make sure and ensure our consumer that we're doing the right thing that we know we are. But mm-hmm. how do we verify it? How do we prove that we are? And so this is one step that we can say, no, that we've got a practice in place here that we are humanely and sustainable, sustainable raising livestock in a proper manner that's good not just for us, the environment, our bottom line, but we're also staying in business so these consumers can feel better about eating our product. I have to agree with you there. Um, tell me a little bit about your operation and what you do back home when you're not working and volunteering for the, the beef board. So Operation Back Home is a cow-calf operation. You know, we, we run on both public and private land. Mm-hmm. Uh, we run on both irrigated and dry Um we raise some of our own bulls. We got a small seed stock herd. Um, we've gone to retaining ownership on most of our livestock through, and we run them through a variety of branded programs. You know, whether we're selling them uh, to a packer or whether we're holding on to them and selling them directly to a retailer, we, we do all that. It's 
and it sounds like it's really complicated, but we're not a huge organization. Um, my wife and I have been there for a while. I'm a fifth generation mm-hmm. in our area. Um, we really like what we do. I like to say we're lucky enough to be an industry where we can work side by side with our fathers and our grandparents and you, you see multi-generations on the same part of land or the mm-hmm. same area and you don't see that in a lot of other industries yeah. so I think that's maybe why we don't do a good job of telling our story either we're we're not really egotistical people mm-hmm. we, we, we like to just do our thing and sometimes we have to come out of our comfort zone <laughs> yes. a little bit so especially in today's technology it's crazy what people can do and see and ask and One of the other things on technology that's interesting is Chuck Knows Beef. I don't know if you've heard much about that. I haven't. (laughs) Tell me about that. So Chuck Knows Beef is an app that you can open through Alexa or Google, and basically it's an interactive app that you open it up and you can ask Chuck questions. Mm -hmm. Chuck will tell you, hey, Chuck, how do you cook a tenderloin? And it'll tell you how to cook it. And they're they're moving towards this interactive deal. And what we like about it is it's it's a way for people who don't understand how to cook meat or how to process stuff or where it comes from. They can ask Chuck these questions. So it, it's a fun app. If they have a chance, they should check it out. That does sound like fun. Is there anything else you'd like to add? So I think in closing, I probably want to just let our producers know they need to get involved and we want to hear from them. Um, we want to know how they think we're doing. This this industry here works for everybody. Mm-hmm. So big, small 50 head, 5,000 head. I want to know what they think. I want to know, do they think we're doing the right job? And I'm only here for another year, and then I move on to other things, right? So there's always chances to get involved. So just make sure they go to drivingdemandforbeef.com. That's a great place to start. Well, thanks for talking with me, Jared, today. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you. Well, hey there, folks. This is Jennifer Latsky again with um, HPJ Talk, and we are coming to you live from the NCBA convention floor. And today we are with Jojo Corrales, who is with um, Heart Brand Beef. Now, they have a really interesting story. We're all used to Herefords. We're all used to Angus. But Jojo, you guys raise and, and produce some, I have to say, amazing beef but it comes from the Akaushi cattle brand. Let's talk about the Akaushi cattle and how did they come to the States? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the Akaushi cattle t- came to the States in, in the mid-90s, and it was a small group of, of cows and bulls that came over. So there was a trade agreement act between uh, Japan and the United States, which allowed uh, this small nucleus of cattle to come over. So uh, they, they grew. It took them a while to grow some numbers, a cow base, a lot of embryo transfer. Uh, but in 2006, the Beeman family was was able to buy uh, Hart Brand, the assets of Hart Brand cattle, and really have, have put a, a really nice business spin on an absolutely great set of genetics. So uh, we know the, the cattle can marble, um, and we just needed to you know, have enough of them to, to really showcase them to cattlemen, show them what they do, how they do it. And, and so Heartbrand uh, does sell bulls. We are a seed stock operation and semen, and we also sell frozen genetics you know, all over the world. Uh, but our unique system to other seed stock operations is we offer a buyback on those Akushi calves. So, um, to, to participate in Heartbrand's buyback program, they must be DNA verified through the breed association. And then also uh, we don't allow a hormone implant uh, for, our, for our meat program. So uh, if they get those, those two things done, uh, they can let us know how many cattle they have and if they choose to, to offer them to our, our program. And so we offer a buyback at a premium. So most of the premium on wean calves is about 100 to $150 over uh, their like weight, like type, uh, offspring. So uh, that's really gives the producers a great incentive to do that. Uh, they don't give up the weaning weight on, a, on an F1, uh, which is, is a big, you know, clear cut over and above of what they can get. Uh, we don't charge a commission on that. And so what we do is we get those calves, if they choose to sell, uh, we'll feed them out, uh, we'll harvest them and sell them in our meat program. So Heartbrain Beef uh, sells uh, sells beef all over the country and also does some export. We do about 10 to 15 percent uh, export overseas and and the the reception on the meat has just been fantastic. You know what I can attest to that and let's talk about the meat because Akaushi cattle are a little bit different in the way that they um, that they deposit their fat. Uh, am I getting that right? They're a little bit different in, in um, how they how they create that delicious eating experience and folks I'm telling you, I have I have seen the light. This stuff is amazing. 
Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. So the biggest fundamental difference of what Akushi do well is they put more fat deposition within the muscle. So uh, besides that they are, you know, a red breed from Japan, uh, very highly marbled, but but factually, uh, when we harvest these F1 cattle, on the last 50,000 head, we're about 40% prime, less than 2% select or, or no roll, which would be our non-compliant cattle for our meat program. So just on straight facts, these cattle marble more, especially, you know, seeing that on an F1. Uh, because the F1 gives us that growth, gives us those conversions that are very economical in the feedlot, whether you feed conventional or natural. Uh, the F1, I think, will perform right alongside any any commercial cattle, and that's what really has has been able to grow. So when most producers uh, that have been you know very traditional, when they try using Akushi genetics, they do it on a smaller group of cattle and really test the facts on how they do, how the 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 rate of gain is, how the 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 uh, uh, conception is on the bulls have great libido, uh, calving ease, those type of things that really add up to a commercial producer on what makes them money. So being able to wean more calves off per pasture and then also get more money per calf really helps them be sustainable in participating in a beef alliance. So we realize that the customer is wanting a higher quality, more consistent product. We realize in the beef industry, we have the best animal protein out there. What we need to get better at is just give, delivering that product more consistently. When they sit down uh, to have a steak or, or have something, uh, a, a beef eating experience, they want they want that experience over and over again. And by the program that we're running, we're, we're making consistent uh, is the feeding program, mm -hmm. and we're also uh, making sure that they are of Akushi genetics before they come into the program. So as far as I know, we are the only branded beef program that has a mandate on DNA verification mm -hmm. to be allowed in. So it's not just a red color, it's not just an affidavit or from a specific region, mm -hmm. but we make sure these animals are verified through the Breed Association before they're allowed in. And yeah, the, the feedback on our customers uh, of the, the people that have had the product, and we, we, don't, we go through you know national distributors, uh, and they just can't get enough of it. So uh, obviously steaks, ribeyes, fillets are, are very sought after, uh, but our meat sales team has done a great job of taking advantage of all the other cuts of flanks and tri-tips and skirts and short ribs. Those things uh, are, are really what make a branded beef program sustainable, is being able to sell everything else for a premium and being able to showcase that that taste transmits even all the other cuts, not just ribeyes and, and strips. So we talk sustainability, and that is a huge buzzword right now all across all segments of, of agriculture. Now, if that calf can do more with less time on, the, on grass, less time in the feedlot, that turns into real dollars savings for feeding out a calf and real um, environmental savings as well. You know, they're they're, we're feeding them less, they're in the, in the pens less time, and they're still providing a, an excellent dining experience. Am I getting that right? Yeah, so so it, it definitely starts on the meat side. So the, the margin that, that we're able to make on selling higher quality beef for, for more money, we're able to share that with every other sector uh, that's doing a better job. So uh, we, we've realized, I mean, very factually, uh, that, that if you incentivize your customers through premiums, they will change and they'll, they'll look at it and they'll look at it hard and it has to make sense for everybody along the chain. So we realize we don't have enough land and cattle to run a complete branded program by ourselves. So it, our cooperative or network or however you want to look at that um, is, I think, is, is very a sustainable model because we're, we're doing it off of results. So by us being able to pay a premium on fat cattle uh, from 20 to 25 cents over on finished fed cattle, that's able to, to translate to more money on feeder calves. And, and I agree. I mean, we have the cattle in the feedlot. Uh, we usually harvest our cattle about 18 to 20 months of age, and they're weighing about 1,400 pounds. So in that system, we feel it gives us the grade that we can go out there and sell every week. So that doesn't have to be everybody's model. So other producers that use Akushi Genetics... They, they might have a, a different outlet. They might have more uh, sales for Prime, or they might do a grass-fed scenario, and they just want to increase their palatability, increase their marbling. So the Akushi genetics are very versatile in being able to fit in other people's system. Heart brand beef sales model, we want you know about half Prime and half choice, and we want to sell an all-natural program that, that's natural-fed. And, and, and it's not that, that we feel implants are 
are dangerous or anything like that. We just we we want more fat deposition, and and most of the implants make them a little leaner and you know increase conversions, which are great. Uh, but we're in the taste business. We want tenderness. We want fat deposition, and the people we sell that beef to want that eating experience and know what where it came from and how it was raised. Well, thank you so very much, JoJo, for talking with us today about the Akaushi brand of cattle and heart brand beef. Um, if folks want more information, where can they go to uh, to find out more about this brand of cattle and where they can find some some Akaushi beef or heart brand beef? Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure to be here at NCBA and just the network uh, of people here is, is just tremendous. So, yeah, I think to our core of what heart brand is trying to do is just make better beef and trying to, you know, we're a fan of cattle, fan of beef and, and, and all beef, but we feel by, by, by doing those fundamental things, we're able to, to give that customer a better product. And I do think it, it extends down into our whole whole industry. So yeah, Heartbrain Cattle uh, will have our next offering of bulls uh, starting in early March. So March 3rd is when people will start selling, uh, start come scheduling their bulls uh, <clears throat> to come view. Excuse me. We also have a semen catalog online, and then you can order the, the beef direct. So uh, if you go on heartbrandbeef.com, you can get ribeye, strips, fillets, ground meat, uh, and anything, and it'll be shipped right to your door. So uh, heartbrand beef, heartbrand cattle, come uh, look us up. We would love to, to show you our operation. We're kind of right between San Antonio and Houston, and anytime you're in the area, we'd, we'd love to have you. Well, hey, thanks, JoJo. And for more on this and more happenings at, at National Cattlemen's Beef Association's CattleCon 20, um, look for us online at www.hpj.com. We'll catch you on the trail. All right. Appreciate it. Remember, we will have more from NCBA in future episodes and on online anytime at www.hpj.com. <laughs>。Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on February 4th. Corn was down at $3.67. Wheat was down at $4.22. Milo was down at $3.17. And soybeans were down at $7.65. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for the sorghum genetics issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes February 17th with a story from Kayleen. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. This has been a production of High Plains Journal. All rights reserved. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends of